3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. All right, ladies and gents, welcome to the Renegade Economist here on 3CR's beloved airwaves blasting out of Melbourne, Australia, and we're talking federal budget. Two interviews today, the first with Dr. David Bond. He's the Senior Lecturer in Accounting from the University of Technology, Sydney, their business school. Uh, David, you were involved in the lockup yesterday in Parliament House, Canberra. It's a pretty surreal experience. When you turn up, so you turn up in Parliament House and you, and you get your pass to be able to, to go back there and you line up and you sign sign off on the documentation saying you're not going to leak anything. You've got to hand over your phone. You can't even just turn it on to flight mode. You have to actually hand it in. And then you're left outside the locked doors where behind all the budget papers. And that's where all the media are. So, you know, you're rubbing shoulders with Annabelle Crabb, Peter Harcher, Lenore Taylor, all these sort of journalists you, you see on TV and you hear on the radio and you, and you read in the papers. And doors open, and it's just every man and woman for themselves just getting in, picking up the papers, getting to your rooms, and then it's just six hours of almost like this massive open book exam where you just got to try to get as get through as much as you can. You can go and talk to treasury officials and just hopefully get something written or you know something sort of sorted out for for crosses for radio. So those Treasury officials are there to help explain the intricacies or provide sound bites for media? No, they are purely background. Um, so it is purely just to get information where you're trying to find something, you can't, you're not too sure what's going on with it, and they can provide some, some background to that. Okay, so the multinationals have been in the press. Uh, that was uh, Joe Hockey's uh, big flourish in his treasurer's presentation last night. Uh, as an accountant, uh, someone having seen the billions of dollars that are flicking around this global economy digitally uh, with, within microseconds, uh, do you think yep. uh, this sort of the, the detail behind this policy uh, is it going to work? First, to start off with, it's still fairly loose. Legislation, I don't think anyone has seen the legislation in detail yet. Um, and certainly there are no costings or expected revenues listed in the budget. So there are no numbers attached to it at this point. But I can, I can go very quickly through what they're trying to do. And it is, I'm not going to name company names, but I think we can all think of one or two companies which they've got front in mind. But... The idea is they're looking at foreign multinationals who are supplying goods and services to Australians. So whether that be digital goods or physical goods, they've got to be big. So they've got to have over a billion dollars in revenue. Now, this is when they're trying to pick up some of the issues around offshoring. So a lot of these companies, which they've got their sights on, book a lot of their Australian revenue offshore. So the customer may be based here but they may be booking it in Ireland or they may be booking it in Singapore or somewhere where which is a low tax jurisdiction. And from what I've seen, again, this isn't in the legis- this isn't the legislation, this is just the information that we've had access to. There must be interactions between Australian customers and Australian employees. Um, and I actually asked Treasury officials about that and that doesn't count if you're calling a call centre and that call centre staff happens to be based overseas, that would not be included, not be captured by this. So that would mean what the expenditure to that call centre wouldn't be included in their no. $1 billion? For example, I buy brands, but I do a certain software, publishing software that I buy. Um, I buy that purely online, and if there's issues with it, you know, you either sort of write them an email or you call them up, and that call centre is based not in Australia. 
that would not be captured by this. What they're picking up is, is more stores where you go into a physical store and you're dealing with physical employees and then the revenue is being booked overseas. So we can think of large sort of those phone manufacturers and phone and tablet manufacturers which would get picked up by this idea. And one of the big things is is threatening these companies with uh, double the tax they yep. were meant to pay with interest on yep. top. So uh, that's sort of the headline call-out yep. on this reform, isn't it? Uh, there must have been yep. a, a few journalists smirking at that one, saying, well, uh, that that's that's good. Well, I mean, it, it is. I mean, they're trying to say that if what you've done is earn your money in Australia, it should be taxed here. And what they're doing with that 100% penalty, which is effectively doubling the tax, is trying to give them a really big stick to say, you know, if you're trying to do this and, and we find you, well, that's not good, so let's make sure that it's properly being done here. But the thing is, they've got to, they'll have to actually find these guys in the first place. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Mm, that's what I've been wondering is is the the legal battles that will result and whether oh. the the Apples and Googles will take them on to uh, show them a lesson in terms of the legal costs and, and some of the embarrassments oh. that result when these cases don't always stick. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, there's a recent case going on with Chevron where they borrowed money, I'm pretty sure it's Chevron, where they borrowed money in the US and then lent it to an Australian part of their group at a significantly higher interest rate. And that, on the face of it, looks a fairly cut-and-dried situation. And from what I've, what I've read, that's, it sounds like the ATO is having a huge amount of trouble actually fighting that. Um, and that's a relatively simple situation, as opposed to what's important as part of the documentation that I've seen is that the principal purpose of the scheme has to specifically be to avoid a taxable presence in Australia. That's what the ATO will have to be able to prove in this. So I'm sure these these companies will be able to sort of work angles to say that's what we were doing and how we were setting these things up wasn't just purely a tax reason. It was there was some other operational reason why this was happening. And you see that happening with some of the big miners who have marketing hubs over in Singapore, where yes, there is a big tax benefit from them doing that but they're saying no we have other things that are happening there it's not purely a tax driven purpose that we have these marketing hubs it's very hard to argue that point and because it's such a broad definition uh, the transfer pricing may well be uh, included in this do you think is is that something that is going to be wiped out when uh, uh, any sort of tax avoidance based on earnings here is undertaken yeah, I mean, when you're talking, I suppose when you're talking about transfer pricing, that's what they're trying to pick up, is that they're, even if the transfer pricing is happening in some way, they're trying to, they are trying to bring back and say, this is the revenue you've earned in Australia. So they're trying to sort of cut through that, that transfer pricing issue. Look, the real question is how effectively they're going to be able to do it. Um, and I'd... I'm just not too sure. I mean, we certainly haven't seen the detail on the legislation, but I mean, even depending on how the legislation is worded, it, it'll also be on how well it can be enforced. Um, and I just don't know, especially with recent cuts to the ATO over the years, I don't know to what extent they're actually get, going to be able to, to effectively do what they need to do to go after these companies.
Yes, well, I did notice in uh, the numbers in there that the ATO has maintained its funding level this year. There were certainly no increases to give it the capa- no. added capacity to deal with these sort of deals, uh, these sort of uh, reforms. So um, what was something that caught you off guard that you didn't quite think uh, would be uh, hidden away in, in some of the fine print? I found it a little bit surprising is there seems to be... a somewhat of a revenue raising happening from foreigners within the new measures, which they're looking to raise, I'll put it all together, they're expecting to raise something in the order of $1.7 billion from foreigners over the next four years. And I'm pretty sure the electorate's not going to have that much of an issue with it because it's not coming from them. And where was that revenue split? I saw something about backpackers. Yeah, so it's through three different channels where they're picking up picking up some money here. So they're going to raise close to 400, well, it's $437 million is going to be raised um, starting the 1st of July this year through an increase in visa costs and, and the cost of recovery in relation to citizenship costs. So people looking to get visas to come into Australia or become an Australian citizen, those costs are going to go up and they're going to pull in $437 million from that are expected to. Yeah, I know what? it's already 6000 for my Kiwi wife to try and uh, get residency here, so it's going to jack up from there. So it'll be uh, bearable for the wealthy, but for the rest of us. I thought, I thought all the Kiwis were going back to New Zealand. <laughs> well, maybe uh, after another dull budget like this. But, David, uh, what were those other two uh, yeah. revenue streams? Yeah, the other two... Um, I mean, you mentioned, um, you touched on the second one, which was targeting backpackers or targeting targeting holiday workers. And what they've done there is they're going to shift um, the tax residency status um, of these workers. So previously, for holiday workers, so for, for people over here on working holidays, if typically if they worked had worked for longer than six months, they would be they could be seen as a tax resident of Australia. And that meant that got them into um, the adding thousand two hundred dollars of minimum tax amount to start paying any tax. It got them the low income tax offset. And even when they started paying tax, it was at the normal personal marginal rates. So they started off paying only nineteen percent after the adding thousand two hundred kicked in. What has changed is that they will not give tax residency status to any holiday worker now. And that means that anyone over here on a working holiday will pay 32.5% on every dollar earned from dollar one. Gee, that's a, that's a lot, isn't it? And yeah. um, the tourism industry is not going to be happy there. And uh, what about the, the third third income stream from foreigners? Yeah, the third income stream is in relation to foreign investment. So they're looking to... I mean, this is part of a broader package of sort of enforcement and compliance in relation to foreign investment and the reviews of, of what's happening. And you see a lot of this, especially in relation to agriculture, that there's concerns about you know who's buying up the land. So what they've done there and what's going to raise close to three quarters of a billion dollars over the four years is by putting in place application fees for foreign investment for real estate or for business or for agriculture. So if someone wants to invest in Australia, there's 
I haven't seen the details of how much per application. I think it's $5,000. Um, I was talking about it recently, and they've got some pretty stiff okay. fines for people trying to um, uh, subvert Take the rules through. as well. So uh, that, that's good to see. And, and how many million was that? Uh, it was close to three quarters of a billion dollars. Okay, well, gee, that's a lot of properties then they're going to be selling uh, to make that sort of revenue. And that was Dr. David Bond from the University of Technology, Sydney. I'm Jermaine Greer, and you're listening to 3CR Treaty Now. Welcome back to 3CR with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, on The Renegade Economist. And we're joined by our budget expert here at Prosper Australia, David Collier, our policy director. Welcome, David. Thank you, Carl. So how did you go watching hockey last night? Uh, Did you watch it? I mean, I I saw a lot of chatter online that people were turning off. Uh, What did you think? I watched it, and it was the most unedifying experience I've ever seen. You'd expect the uh, the Australian Treasurer uh, to to actually be the most decisive guide, if you like, to the future of Australia's economic economic direction, uh, and and it was it was awful. It was awful. Um, I've I've watched a number of budgets. I've sat in budget lockups many times, and uh, um, this budget has to be the most uninspired. How do I put this? Budgets are supposed to set the direction that the government is prepared to take on behalf of the economy, on behalf of the people for the next year. It's sort of like the the report, if you like, of what what, what they plan to do. Uh, and, and as far as I can see, they plan to do nothing. They, they their, their main agenda, it seems to be, to recover their, their standing in the opinion polls, which is not much of an objective uh, for a country to actually divert the, the whole energies of one country to the recovery of the government. And looking at the Australian, which is something I don't often do, but it says a uh, headline, leaning towards a poll... Are you a lost liberal? Then this one is for you, is another article. The real aim is to save the coalition. And finally, election or not, this one is worth fighting for. So uh, is that what you think they're setting up for? Uh, Can they do that sort of thing? The standing of the Abbott government is so low, according to opinion polls, they're actually in more serious trouble than people realise. Because if they were obliged to announce new directions for Australia, the, the people would not follow them. They are held up to ridicule. Now, I've never seen this ever, ever, ever. I mean, we all hear partisan support from the other side going, oh, ho, ho, the government's a bunch of ratbags uh, and not to be trusted. But to actually have a situation where the government would not be followed by the people, uh, what if we had a war? What if we had a major natural disaster? that required a a national response. The Australian people would not follow the government and this is the problem they're in. So so this stuff about we're we're considering an early election, no, it's not about an early election. It's about getting their their, their standing in the community back up to a reasonable level so they can actually lead us. At the moment, we are completely leaderless and and, and they will not be followed. There's been a lot of talk about the bracket creep that's going to help bail out and work down this $40 billion budget. We're meant to be 
impressed with a, a $35 billion budget deficit, uh, double what was predicted just a, a year or two ago. So it's not that flash what they're giving us, but it's been all about uh, the small business and reinvigorating change there with a 1.5% tax cut for small business uh, with turnover under $2 million and another one for non-incorporated small businesses. So uh, there's just over $3 billion worth of cuts there. But is that really going to uh, re-trigger this economy and keep our 24-year uh, economic growth boom rolling along? In a word, no. It, uh, the scale of it's not, it's not possible. Businesses with turnover smaller than $2 million really are, are not going to be incentivised by a 1.5% uh, tax cut. That won't oblige them to go out and spend money. They will be incentivised, they will be motivated by the, uh, the offer of, of immediate tax deduction of capital expenditures under $20,000. Um, that's a good thing, but the, the, the big headline stuff, no, it's not going to make the slightest bit of difference. We're facing a massive fall in our terms of trade because of the fall in the price of iron ore and of coal and of and of oil and gas. These are our major exports. Between them, I think it's about 65% of our exports would be those those three groups. Really, it's irretrievable. And even even their their projection of a 40 billion dollar deficit, government deficit, I think is very very modest. I think it understates what's likely to happen. It only take this is they're projecting forward current iron ore price current uh, um, coal prices and there's, we're not at a floor yet we are, we're, there's no evidence that these prices have stopped falling so how can they possibly say these things? So exports are down and it seems like with this uh, $20,000 write-off that's really going to support imports and there's going to be lots of gadgets out there purchased new tablets are going to be um, picked up everywhere and the government has added a little bit of candy on top by including um, uh, such expenditures as a fringe benefit benefit tax exemption. So a a little hand back to Apple, whilst uh, uh, on the other foot they're going to be engaging in this sort of Netflix tax against multinationals. So uh, for small business to really pump prime the economy, uh, I kind of feel like uh, this budget, of course, left totally off the agenda was the, the incredible cost of housing and how these higher and higher rents are acting as a secret tax on renters and from that it's it's curtailing our ability to spend in our local community so as that continues to add up it puts more and more pressure on the domestic economy and of course uh, from the reserve bank cutting interest rates through to some of these measures we've seen in the budget uh, that same pressure is going to continue to build. Very much so. I hadn't seen $20,000 tax deduction as being an import incentive. And in fact, it is. You're quite right, because uh, most people will go out and buy a few few gadgets, a few trinkets, a new computer. Well, they're all imported. Uh, we don't make any of those things. Uh, so yes, you're quite right to point out there's actually an incentive to import more. Uh, I hadn't seen it in those terms. I was very surprised they, they did nothing on, on negative gearing or upon this, this difficulty we've got with so many investors piling in to buy residential houses, second-hand residential houses, that, that, that uh, first-home buyers can't get a leg in, uh, get, can't even get started. Now, there's no, no action on this, in this sphere at all. Um, Michael Yanda is out this morning with a very, very interesting um, piece in the, in the ABC, uh, the drum I think it's in, uh, where he, he points out that if they remove negative gearing or even grandfathered it so that all existing 
negative gearers could continue and only new ones were stopped, um, it, would, it would likely crash the Australian property market irretrievably. And his economics are quite sound, in my opinion. And um, uh, where we see the government running scared or, or declining to act and therefore allowing this, this, this crazy boom to go on without, without any form of correction whatsoever. Um, we've seen APRA um, announce a, a 10% growth ceiling on bank lending, but it's all been exceeded by a number of the banks. So um, none of this... None of these controls are working. None of, there's, there's actually no break on, on this housing bubble, which is almost entirely Sydney, a little bit of Melbourne. Most of the Melbourne stuff is in apartments um, for Chinese people. Well, nobody's going to live. No, no Australian's going to live in a one-bedroom apartment of 40, 40 square metres. It's unlivable. I finished off last week with a bit of a rant on Daniel Andrews' foreign investment alterations there with some $18,000 um, stamp duty cost and $1,800 land tax cost and why that wasn't reversed. But interesting, on the weekend, of course, clearance rates still went up in both Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, it's phenomenal the power that is behind this incentive for incredible capital gains. And it just strikes me as ironic that here's Joe Hockey um, hashtagging his budget, have a go. Have a go, mate. Well, um, who's going to have a go when you've got, you got all those headaches of employing people, the insurance, the OH&S, the risk of um, cheap imports coming in uh, with the government always trying to talk down the uh, exchange rate? And uh, there, you, there we have week after week uh, people making um, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 in one transaction, the capital gains uh, earned in one year from owning real estate. Well, um, my, my view on the real estate state boom is, is as has been for years that it's we're in a bubble uh, and it will explode uh, this is becoming even more and more likely if you look at the investor share of Sydney um, real estate purchases it's, it's, it's gone it's gone ballistic it's just gone parabolic the only solution is, is a downturn which will be prompted by by a sudden suspension of interest by by investors now home buyers have to buy somewhere to live that's why they buy a house is to somewhere to live investors don't have to buy they are electing to they are electing to buy so that they can make an investment now investment is a highly Mm, you can go here, you can go there. People have choices with investment. Home buyers don't really have a choice. They have to go into the market. If they want a house this year, they have to go into the market and buy one this year. Many people uh, get caught up in this, but when they get outbid by investors who are fickle, I mean, the, the fashion next next month might be macadamias for all we know, um, and all this investor energy which is going into the Sydney land market uh, will, will transfer to something else. It's only a matter of time until it does. Okay, uh, David, let's switch over to infrastructure because that's a big area of concern. Here in Victoria, we've basically been ripped off and there's lots of talk on uh, ABC Radio this morning about the uh, Conservative government penalising Victoria for having elected uh, a Labor government. And uh, the percentage spend uh, is minuscule here in Victoria at some $67 per head. But over in Western Australia, where they've blown their mining royalty revenues, where they've uh, whinged about the GST cut, they're getting about $377 per head versus 67 here in Victoria, says Josh Gordon in The Age. So where's our infrastructure Prime Minister when it comes to Victoria and what is he expecting to happen in the next election? 
Well, as far as uh, the Prime Minister is concerned, uh, if, if the Victorians are foolish enough to elect a Labor government, uh, then they get what they deserve. Um, as far as they're concerned, that $1.5 billion that, that was reserved for the East-West Link is, is conditional upon it being spent in a way that suits the federal government, not in a way that spends the state government. Now, the state governments have, have ruined their own tax bases, and, and the federal government is the one that collects a lot of taxes now. When they hand the money over to the states, they attach conditions. Uh, now, that seems reasonable, it's, it's, it, cause, but it's not their money. It's your money and my money. And we're in a situation now where Victorian taxpayers are basically subsidising everybody else. Um, not good enough. And um, there, there has to be an equity equity argument around. The, the state government has different infrastructure priorities. I'm, I welcome the reinstatement of the north-south um, rail link through the city. I think it's a terrific idea. The, the Liberals' idea of running it around through uh, docklands was a bit silly, but the reinstatement of the original concept for that is, is brilliant. We, it needs money. Uh, it, it ought to be paid for by a landowner levy uh, on the inner city area, which is a great way of funding these sorts of um, public sector projects. Uh, but at the same time, we still need that $1.5 billion from the federal government. It's our money, not theirs. Okay, well, let's finish off then with a bit of discussion about some of the government agencies. It was good to see the ABS, as was foreshadowed, uh, some $250 million extra in uh, finance over the next couple of years. So that'll help them modernise their website and hopefully keep our friends at Oren uh, on the geospatial agenda moving forward. Uh, but I was interested to see that um, uh, the ASIC plan to privatise the registry function of companies, uh, what that might mean, David, for those of us involved in, in some form of investigative journalism and is there some sort of agenda to these sort of moves to, to no doubt jack up the costs of uh, finding out who owns what company? It would have that consequence. Now, the, the Conservatives will simply argue that they're trying to um, privatise a, a, a service that could equally be provided by the private sector. However, what we have here is a public registry function. Uh, in, in my opinion, these sorts of things are, are core to government. That is, some, there are some things that you cannot delegate to the private sector. The land registry is an example, and I think the ASIC registry is, is in a similar situation. These things need to be a matter of public record. Private sector operators tend to say, well, I'm happy to find the data for you, but my fee is whatever I choose to, to make it. Um, whereas a, a public, public records office uh, would say, well, here we, we have a registry and here is your data. Um, it matters. It matters very much for land registry and it matters equally for, for company registers. And lastly, the Australian Rail and, and Track Corporation, that seems like that's up for sale. It's, got, it's worth some $4 billion. Most of that would be in land value, of course, but uh, it's a huge network of rail lines. And here again, we're, we're seeing this fallacy that uh, privatised monopolies are more effectively run by, by private industry when uh, we know they're going to have to borrow at higher rates than government and pay higher commercial salaries as well on top of providing uh, providing dividends to possible shareholders. So uh, how do they keep getting away with privatising the last of the commons? You're quite right about all those points you make. Uh, the rail track is a natural monopoly. Uh, they can get away with it because nobody listens to renegade economists. And there we have David Collier Welcome finishing back. off uh, a little cheekily, but that's the big issue, isn't it, is uh, how we can... Re- 
call to account this endless privatisation agenda. It just continues on and on, driving us crazy here on 3CR. When I heard a ridiculous stat of uh, bike paths costing close to $200,000 per metre for production. I mean, come on, 3CR, tell me if 10 of us couldn't get together and put together a business to um, (laughs) compete with those sort of prices. It's just ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy that uh, the government uh, has put forward another budget uh, that's based on a whole pile of premises. They're thinking that India is going to take over from China, pulling in our uh, iron ore and coal when they have some significant uh, reserves there themselves. Uh, yeah, the asset recycling initiative seems to be out the window in favour of Gina Reinhardt's preference for a Northern Australia-type focus. So uh, people up in Darwin and Broome will be loving it. Uh, Darwin property investors will be rubbing their hands with glee. Of course, they pay no land tax up there, so it's a free-for-all in the property sector. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, just a, a surprising array of short-sightedness when, you know, look at this small business. They're talking about some $3.5 billion in tax cuts there. But, of course, commercial land values increased by $8.7 billion in the last financial year. So much of that will be seeped away by increased rents. So I was happy to see uh, a number of people retweeting my uh, my uh, Q&A tweet on uh, Employers are penalised for employing people with payroll tax, but uh, speculators are rewarded uh, with all these tax subsidies. And and that's what continues to go on and on and on. And I feel that uh, these rising rents uh, alongside the 23% of commercial vacancies are killing small business. And uh, unless you're an IT startup or uh, some sort of shelf company trying to arrange a a family trust to avoid paying taxes, uh, there's not the sort of small business generation we would love to see. So it will be very interesting to be sitting here this time next year to see what sort of uh, health the Australian economy is sitting in. Uh, We wonder whether this budget will have actually erased the uh, distrust that's been uh, awoken amongst the people in terms of uh, the handouts for the uh, upper echelons. We'll be uh, digging through the finer detail of this budget and bringing you more details on our prosper.org.au website. And of course, remember, check out earthsharing.org.au. Each week I'm putting up the show notes there with uh, links to some of the stories we do reference in the show. So uh, thanks very much for listening to The Renegade Economist. I look forward to being back on these beloved public airwaves, uh, uh, one of uh, the few public radio stations in the world bringing this sort of cutting-edge analysis. So thanks very much for supporting 3CR. We look forward to being back next week. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is...